You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody, for another episode of Marketing News Canada, all things marketing, advertising, and communications, the number one podcast in Canada. Today, we have Karina Kogan, who is the Senior Vice President and Global Head of Product Marketing at Peloton Interactive. In her role, Karina leads global product marketing for Peloton's connected fitness products, including their bikes, treads, apps, digital subscription, and corporate wellness business. In addition to the product marketing function, she also leads their media planning and buying practice, marketing analytics, lifecycle marketing, and CRM. She joined Peloton in 2019 as the SVP and global manager of Peloton Digital and has managed the company's product marketing initiatives and campaigns to align corporate strategy, digital content, and operating goals. Karina has two decades of marketing and management experience in roles at the intersection of media and tech. Before joining Peloton, she worked in senior positions at Warner Media, Participant Media, and Spin Media. Karina is a Columbia University Barnard College alum and currently resides in Brooklyn. Welcome. Thank you. I know there's a lot, a lot to read, lots to get through. Lots to get through. And yeah. thank God we have editors so they can edit all my ums and ahs out. Oh, cool. So how are things at Peloton? They're great. They're great. Yeah. I mean, you know, the world obviously is in a in a bananas place. But Peloton, I think, is doing well. We've, you know, we we as an organization and as a team have rallied and obviously our product and our service, our platform is super relevant right now. So we're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> so usually when we have guests come on, we really want to understand the origin story because yeah. I don't think everyone just wakes up and becomes global head of marketing of a national international brand. Right. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about how you got here? Yeah, sure. So I was, a, I was actually a poli sci major at Barnard oh, wow. and I thought I was going to become a lawyer. And then I took constitutional law and I was like, this is really boring. And I realized that what I was most excited about was really like strategy and understand history and understanding people and people over time. <laughs> I like, you know, game theory, understanding, you know, international relations. And so that didn't seem like a career that fit with law. It seemed like I was in poli sci for all the wrong reasons, if you will. But, um, I was very lucky that I graduated from Barnard in 1998 and moved to San Francisco, which was, if you know, San Francisco in 1998 was the beginning of the dot-com bubble. So I just happened to land in this right place at the right time in terms of job opportunity, especially for young people, right? Just so much money in Silicon Valley. There was so much opportunity. There were so many startups, so many new businesses. There was so much disruption. Everybody was just trying things for the first time. And so my first job actually in San Francisco was for a company called IDOS Interactive, which you probably never heard of IDOS, but if you play video games, you've probably heard of Tomb Raider. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my first job was in video gaming. And I worked in marketing and got to work on lots of really fun video games. And if you think about video gaming, the video game industry is really the OG of the intersection of tech and media, right? You take content and you layer in a bunch of technology, great software, and it's video games, right? You know, even today we talk about gamification in media, 
And it's because of what how it works so beautifully in video games, right? It's really a lean-in experience, creates this very immersive connection between the player and the content. And so that was like, I never realized how much that job actually influenced the rest of my career until now looking back. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's one of the... It's part of why I fell in love with this this type of industry and this type of work. But yeah, so then the rest is history. I started to work at a lot of startups and, you know, in tech in, in, in the Bay Area and got a chance to touch big brands, little brands. I was a, a media planner and buyer for major brands and for startups. You know, I worked on Sun Microsystems and, and, and you know, one day and Webvan the other day. So... It was an incredibly fun ride. And, and then the bubble burst, obviously, and I had to move on to other things. But <laughs> that yeah. happens. Yeah, that happens. Exactly. Yeah. And then what happened? How did you get to uh, Warner Media and then yeah. on to, to Peloton? Yeah. So I, I moved, actually, I moved to Los Angeles after the, the market really fundamentally changed in, in the Bay Area. And the first person to hire me in LA was a guy named John Foley, who was the oh, wow. CEO and a founder of Peloton today. Yeah. But he hired me as the head of marketing at a, a company called Evite. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we grew that business like wildfire. I mean, we, you know, it was a very small business when John took it over as president. And we grew it, you know, just tremendously. It was one of the very first companies that truly benefited from network effects. Right now, you look at social media, you look at Facebook, you think about even later, MySpace came after Evite even, right? And you kind of, as a marketer, you talk a lot about network effects, right? How do you create virality in your product and that sort of virtuous cycle between and, and sort of word of mouth? Well, Evite was like Before a great that. example of that, right? Because you would have a birthday party and you would send that invitation on average to 34 people and... You know, and then those 34 people would open the invitation and they'd be like, oh, cool, I'm going to use this as a, a way to invite people to my barbecue and my this or that. And so it was a really fun role that actually, even before product marketing was a thing, taught me to be a product marketer because so much of what it took to market and grow Evite was really about partnering closely with product development to look at how consumers experience the product and think about the way to build, you know, about how to build that flywheel, right? So that your first touch point wasn't your last touch point, right? And we were also an ad-supported business. And so there was a lot to think about on the B2B side, how to sort of monetize the business and create maximum value for our advertisers, not just for consumers. And so that was a really fun, fun role. And I'm, you know, and that and Evite was part of a company called IAC, which was run by Barry Diller. And I had the opportunity to move from Evite to City Search. To leave marketing oh. there, and that was a very that was a very SEM SE. That was a very, very different, though. Yeah, very different. That was a very performance marketing job. If, if Evite was a very product marketing mm-hmm. job, City Search was definitely a performance marketing gig. Where I learned a lot about you know SEM SEO, you know, and the early uh, days too. Early days for sure. So early that if you can believe it, at the time that I was working at City Search, even the yellow pages weren't digitized yet. And people were using City Search as an actual yellow pages. And even Google hadn't didn't have Google local. So people were, you know, if you were looking for a plumber or pizza man, you weren't actually typing oh, yeah. search into You're Google. You're still using the book back then. Yeah. I remember when I first started my agency, I still used the yellow pages to cold call people when I first started my business. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Well, a lot of people started to use City Search. It was, it was, a, it was really became, I mean, a lot of people used it obviously for, for as a restaurant directory, but it also supplanted the Yellow Pages. And there was a really big opportunity for that business to own local search, but it was tough. Once Google decided to get in the game, you mm. know, you know, the, they, the game was, writing was, yeah, on the it was wall. a little bit of a game over after that. But yeah. And so then after city search, I actually worked at a few different startups. I got really excited about the sort of, um, the trend when I left city search, one of the emerging trends in tech was actually online video. Cause back then, like, your internet connection wasn't as beautiful as it is that today. Dial up, remember that dial-up song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and people, and also the internet wasn't yet mobile fully. I mean, people were using, but it wasn't like it is today, where so much of your traffic is usually mobile first. But online video was becoming a thing. This was before YouTube was bought by Google for whatever one point three five billion dollars, and a lot of players were trying to figure out video. Because it was obviously a much more a more superior form of storytelling and entertainment, but it was not yet scalable, nor was it organized, right? And traditional media also was very uncomfortable with it, right? Because it's like, well, what do you mean we have to put my precious brand on the internet? And one of the and also one of the challenges, like even YouTube really faced one of the was was also there was a, a lot of piracy and user generated right like it was user generated content and people who were stealing music and everybody was getting a cease and desist and it was like how do you organize the internet's video in a way that's legal and interesting <laughs> yeah, not just skateboard videos and, not, and, and yeah diet coke and mentos and funny cats oh, right yeah. Yeah, that was, right. Uh, the internet is you know really kind of peak peak internet renaissance <laughs> but um but yeah, so I worked in, in, in online video and um, eventually I made my way to a company called Buzz Media, which later became Spin when we bought Spin Magazine and rebranded. But that company was trying to do something super interesting. Their thesis was there was no place for young people to come for pop culture, right? Like VH1 and MTV were sort of dying on the vine and the blogosphere was super disaggregated and everywhere. And so our thesis was, could you build a pop culture hub that looks like what MTV and VH1 were doing on telelinear cable TV, but do it on, on a, online? And we started an influencer business. I actually put the Kardashians on the internet. Little, little I did not know. Fact. Little known fact. Little known fact. We, we you know, signed the Kardashians, Britney Spears. There were all sorts of celebrities. And at the time, there was actually like a stigma associated with celebrity being on social media, on Twitter, right? It wasn't like back in the I early days. I didn't remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And because there was no money there, right? So nobody was really using it. And But the people who did use it and used it effectively were reality stars, right? Because reality stars actually did make money on their personal narrative. Whereas if you're, you know, Rihanna or somebody, you know, an artist, you know, an actor, why would you get on Twitter and talk about what you had for lunch? You know, the paparazzi did that, right? Us Weekly and People Magazine did that. And so stars weren't necessarily connecting to fans, but the reality stars got on the bandwagon really early. So that was a bit of what I did at Buzz, and it was super fun and really disrupted the industry. And a lot of other you know businesses sort of started on that model. But anyway, I did a couple other things, but eventually I, I came to Warner Media to help kind of lead some digital transformation work there. 
Warner at the time, the two brands that I worked on, TBS and TNT, which are the internet's, the internet's, the cable's largest entertainment brands, a lot of consumers were not just moving out of cable online, but they were actually on cable and online. And so there was this desire to build more continuity, more stickiness between the two ecosystems. And so a lot of what I worked on was actually bringing a lot of those fun personalities and traditional cable IP into the digital space. For example, we produced the first ever animated series on Snapchat with Conan O'Brien. I did not know that. Yeah, we built the first ever Facebook Live that actually was live and animated at the same time where the person on the other end of the camera was talking, but as an animation. And So that we, we used tech to really... Remember, I was telling you about tech-enabled media and using technology sort of to transform how people consume content. It was a big part of what I did at Warner. And but also we built their, you know, the, the TV everywhere app. So, you know, if you ever watch, you know, NBA on TNT, but on your mobile phone, that was our team. Um, That's a big ask. Yes. Yeah. It was a really fun job. It was part tech, part, you know, storytelling and it scratched a lot of itches for me personally and professionally in terms of my own intellectual curiosity as a marketer. And then now we are selling bikes and treadmills. We're selling more than that. We are. What are we selling? Tell me. We're selling, we're selling health. In many ways, we're actually providing people with a lot of happiness. A lot of <laughs> We're selling self-actualization. I'm half joking in the sense that I think if you talk to our members... They don't think of themselves as bike owners. They think of themselves as Peloton owners. They think of themselves as part of a community that delivers great fitness, health, wellness into their lives, but also opens the door to a community of, of people who, you know, and, and that motivate you, keep you accountable. Like the biggest, biggest barriers that consumers faced in the fitness industry often is motivation and accountability, right? Um, it's like, oh, oh, and Peloton provides that. That's a big piece of white space that I think Peloton actually filled. And it's definitely more than hardware, for sure. And we talk about Peloton as really operating at the intersection of hardware, software, content, and community. It's when all those those four things come together that the magic of Peloton really comes to life. Well, it really is not just the hardware, right? Because I yeah. think you know the stock market has realized yeah. that and all the content that you guys produce is the stickiness, the long-term viability of the business. That's right. Yeah. I mean, at home equipment has been around for a long time, treadmills, ellipticals, but Peloton did something that nobody else could. It actually got you excited about working out and it made you feel like you're part of something. And it's crazy entertaining. I don't know about you, but like when I get on my bike, I forget that I'm working out. Like, I'm just like, I'm listening to the instructor. I'm kind of in this, I get in this zone and I, I'm genuinely transported out of what is just a workout into like truly a fun, fun 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever, you know, whatever length of class I'm taking. I'm listening to music. I'm kind of like, I get to like leave my, 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 my routine and be right. Whereas, you know, I used to go to the gym and I'd be like, Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't, you know, I used to like wander around and never really quite know how to, how to get a good workout. And it took a lot of the guesswork out and now you get to just enjoy the workout, you know? Well, and with the, how do you manage the whole, you know, you guys were a work from home beneficiary as it were. That's, I think a lot of people spent their holiday. I know I spent my holiday dollars buying fitness equipment at home. So you guys benefit from that. How do you maintain that? 
beyond COVID and, and as we reopen? Yeah, I mean, we were fortunate in that we were growing 2x year on year well before COVID. Like our business was successful. We had product market fit, as marketers like to say. We had something people wanted. And then I think COVID, of course, as we all went into lockdown, certainly accelerated our business, but I don't think it made the business. It certainly accelerated consumer curiosity and demand. But the reason we grew so much and the reason we have you know, 92% retention, I believe, as of our last earnings call is because people love this product. They're, they're, they want to use it every day, every month. And so that has to do with the user experience not COVID. And by the way, even as people get it inoculated, and I realize there's a Delta variant and there's a lot of, you know, kind of uncertainty in the world, but even as consumers went back outside this summer, our members were still working out. On average, a Peloton all access member is logging 26 workouts a month. I mean, that's a lot of engagement. That's a lot. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Because I'm curious because I did read that you're in fact, your your retention was insane. Like you only had 0.31 people leave the service, which is insane. Like that's yeah, the that's 90% unheard of. That I that I said to you is an annual retention rate. So in the whole year, right? So, so, but yeah. it's 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 incredible. Yeah. And is it? What do you do? What's the secret sauce in the content? I, like I said, I think it is a combination of the content, the software, you know, the hardware, and the community. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Like so. Yes, the content's incredible, right? And, you, and there's lots of articles out there where people talk a lot about their connection to the instructor. And there's lots of instructors. So depending on, you know, you could pick pick your flavor. There's lots of different wonderful yeah. personalities. I have a friend that only goes to like two instructors that you guys have. Yeah. She loves those yeah. two instructors and that's all she does. Yeah, like Cody is your BFF and Allie, you know, Robin is your life coach. And, you know, Emma curates the best indie music. And so they're all very different and bring something different to the table. And I think that is obviously like the lean in entertaining the entertainment factor to the to the, the point that I made about being able to clip into the bike, for example, time disappears. You're not like worried about like, oh, how do I get a great workout in the next 30 minutes and having to solve for that for yourself, right? You have an amazing trainer and they're going to ensure you get a great workout. But while you're working out really hard, the music's popping and they're telling you fun stories or they're talking to you in a way that really connects with you. And that keeps you obviously super motivated. And then enter in the metrics, right? And you can see your metrics. There's a leaderboard. You can high five other people. You can, you know, heart a song. Like it's super, it's a really lean in experience, right? Like you're, you're really interacting with the equipment in a way that I think not just the content brings to life, but the software. And you're doing that inside of a community of other people who are kind of having a great time alongside with you. And even if it's virtual, you do feel the presence of others, right? You see those names on the leaderboard. And we've done a lot also to build what we call micro communities where you can use a a tag with your username so that if you're like me, like really into wine, you might be in the wine, wino community of Ryan. Wino community, is that what it's called? You know, it's Pello for wine. Um, but you know, people can find others like themselves, their alumni groups find themselves, coworkers, you know, now that we're all working remotely, a lot of coworkers use it. You can't go to happy hour, but you could take a class together. And so you can bond and find other ways to feel connected in this space. And I think that that is 
that is a, another big piece to why our retention is so great is that you do feel it's not an isolating workout. It's not only entertaining, but it does make you feel very connected to other people. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In your role, are you charged with coming up with all these ideas to engage people, to build these micro-communities, come up with the wino names? Is that, know, is that part of your... The community comes up with the why no name. I just, I'm like, me too, guys. Let me in. Look, our product team is incredible. Best in the biz. And they're always dreaming up different ways to build engagement. And they're looking at how our members are using our products and identifying gaps and building, building, you know, like do a ton of research. For example, social features are born a lot out of not just what we think would be great, but research, which is we hear from people. It's one of the things they love about Working out is feeling the presence of others. And to the extent that you're not at the gym, we want to replicate, right, that presence, but we want to do it in a way that's even better. Whereas in the gym, you maybe you're around a bunch of strangers. Here you're you're in this micro community, or maybe you're with friends. So it's super cross-functional. And obviously our content team is incredible, right? They come up with a lot. They come up with the programming. We have a membership team which launches a lot of our challenges. So I'm part of a fabric of product developers and content programmers and, you know, marketers who all come up with all sorts of fun things. Yeah. That's what great leaders always do. They pass all the credit to their team. Oh, but it's true. It's true. So tell me about your, the challenges, you know, day to day, you're running a global brand. You have a huge team. There's competition. What are your biggest challenges? What are, what are you losing sleep over and doing more extra Peloton exercise classes to get going? I just sleep over really practical things. Obviously, like I'm in the weeds kind of every day. You know, some of the things I think about obviously are like 
marketing efficiency and scalability. I think about changes, you know, like right now, the privacy landscape obviously is changing. Google's moving to a cookie-less web and Apple's moves around IDFA. And that impacts marketers like us in terms of being able to retarget consumers. And so I think about really practical things like how do we get efficiencies in our marketing at a time where maybe there's some headwinds. One of the things we've been thinking a lot about is like owning more of our data destiny and having more data autonomy and building a great data platform and a marketing tech stack that allows us to access that data in really sort of pliable, nuanced ways. So those are like some of the things that like, I don't know, that's not, maybe it doesn't keep me up, but it's certainly, yeah, it keeps me up a little. I don't know, you know, I think about that, especially as we make big investments, right? Peloton does a fair amount of marketing and it's important for us to stay efficient. I do, you know, also think a lot about where COVID's going to go, where the world's going to go as a mother, as a consumer, as a marketer. We've been living in really unstable times. And sometimes what you do as a marketer, part of your job is also like being a little bit of a like fortune teller, like, right? You have to anticipate what's coming. Like Wayne Gretzky once said, right? You got to go to where the puck is heading. Not Lucky reference. Wow. There you go. You're definitely speaking to our audience. Look at you. Yeah. But, but that's true of marketing, right? Like you have to anticipate where the consumer is going. Otherwise, you're just living in the past and you become dated and uninteresting and consumers leave you behind. And in a world that we live in now, like with COVID, it's we're just so volatile. Like there's so much, you know, like everybody's vaccinated. Yay, back to work. Just kidding. Delta variant, Delta plus. And it's just so hard as a human, forget about marketer, to just really put your finger on the <laughs> on the pulse of like what is happening, you know? And so as marketers, that is also challenging to us. And we have to, you know, now more than I've I've never said the word contingency more in my life as a marketer than I have in the last year, because you make a plan and then you have to make a contingency plan. And you right? have to make a contingency plan for that contingency plan. Yeah, and you're like, okay, we're gonna make this bet. And it's really practical stuff. Like imagine shooting a commercial and you're like, wait, do we got to put people in masks if they are interacting with other people? Like, you know, stuff like that. Is that what we have to put on TV? Or no? And when you're dealing with six month timelines, right, where you're really advanced planning, it's really hard to anticipate. So that's one of the things that also keeps me up at night. You know, I just want to make sure that we make the right bets and that we have the right contingency plans. So, you know, <laughs> we make a plan and make a plan. You know. Let's talk about kind of what's coming. Yeah. For, for Peloton. Yeah. We, we talked about lane break a yeah. little bit earlier before the interview. We also talked about breaking into Australia and, yeah. and the corporate wellness. Can you talk about a few of those things? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, Peloton's always dreaming up new ways to, 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 to reach consumers and grow and, and drive engagement and continue to benefit from awesome retention rates like the ones we just discussed. So, you know, as we think about growth, there's a few areas that we, you know, we've been looking at. One is obviously international expansion and our recent entree into Australia is a great example of that. You know, pre, you know, we're now in the US and Canada, obviously, the UK, Germany, and Australia. And it's super exciting and really, really fun because Australia is like a real fitness market. Australians are really fit, you know, mm-hmm. they really like they really like their workouts. So we're excited to be in that country. We also are always looking to build sort of new experiences for the platform. So Lane Break is is a great example of like, essentially, it's a video game that you kind of use your bike to play. And so you use 
cadence and resistance and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're essentially drive your wheel and you're driving and you're collecting points. And it's, um, it doesn't in any way change our core offering, which is like this instructor led fitness, but it's like a, it's, it, it is, fun thing. it's like, yeah, it's like an arcade game that you play on your bike. And so it does bring something new and fresh to the platform that that product would be rolling out. It's not out yet. We just announced it. And that's really fun. But we're, we earlier this year, we announced an update to our scenic experiences. So like you can run and ride through Georgia and Hawaii and Big Sur. And so those are just different ways that our members can mix up their routine and try something new. And I think it keeps them on their toes and is super fun and engaging. We also added a lot of new modalities in the last year, you know, Pilates, dance, cardio, bar, and we added new instructors too. We added Spanish speaking instructor. So that's fun. We could really connect with Hispanic communities in their native language. We added more German instructors. So lots of growth all across the platform. And then you mentioned corporate wellness. So another area of expansion for us is channel expansion. So, you know, historically we've been a B2C, uh, D2C business. But now through corporate wellness, what we're doing is allowing employers to be able to provide Peloton as a wellness benefit to their employees. So you could have your Peloton membership essentially reimbursed and subsidized as a wellness wellness benefit inside of your company. And we've announced some great early partners there, Wayfair, Accenture, NASDAQ, Sky, Samsung. And then in the U.S., we also announced um, a partnership with United Health Group, which through their fully insured program is offering one year free digital to employees and four months of waivers on the all access membership. So just a great way to reach consumers through a new channel, but it's certainly new for us. And I think we're gonna make a lot of people happy. I think so. Yeah. I just wonder as a marketer, how do you keep track of all that? Like you have all these new things plus all the stuff that you guys are already marketing. Yeah. How do you keep your eye on the prize and keep your team focused that way? One way is we're actually a quite quite an organized bunch in the sense that like we use KPIs and we have North Star mm-hmm. metrics and we do OKRs and mm-hmm. you know we sort of get organized around here's our calendar, here are our priorities, and here are the here are the KPIs that matter and, and here's the order in which they matter, right? And so that allows us to stay focused. But um but we're also growing as a team. Like we we're actually hiring. That's another way we do it, right? Which is we add new add new lines of business and we add people. <laughs> so it's, it's not just, you know, the same people doing more stuff because, you know, we'd all burn out and uh, we do try to be mindful of that too. And we've, we've been growing and hiring as well. And, and that's been really fun. Yeah. Well, that was leading to my next question around culture. How do you maintain the culture, your group when you're hiring nonstop, bringing on new people? Well, first of all, we have a pretty, pretty like Peloton has a pretty robust onboarding process. And, but you're not wrong that like, especially in the age of COVID where we're all remote, it's so hard, right? Like you can't like go to, remember the days where you don't take your newbie out for a welcome lunch? Yeah. I haven't met half my team that's yeah. come on since COVID. I think I haven't either. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have the welcome lunch. You don't do the happy hour. You're not like, Hey, who are you in the, in the, in the, you know, in the kitchen getting your, you know, soda or snack. So, um, so I have actually found that in a weird way, I mean, 
this is going to sound weird, but in a weird way, like Slack has replaced water cooler. Like, yeah, we have, we have some funny channels just to like keep jokes up and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of casual kind of conversations happening on Slack. And I think there's subcultures that are built in Slack, right? At, at a lot of companies. And I think that's one place where, where there's stuff is going on. And I do, I am very, very sort of committed to my one-on-ones with my team. And sometimes even if we don't have anything like a lot of business to discuss, because we just talked a bunch earlier in the day, I use it as time to say like, what's going on? How are you doing? How's your, how's your dog? <laughs> what's going on with your kids? And just as a way to connect on a personal level, I think it make, at least selfishly helps me stay connected to people's lives in a way that, you know, you used to run into someone in the elevator and you'd be like, hey, how was your weekend? And now you all get on the Zoom call at the exact same time. And there's no time for chit chat. How was your weekend? You go straight to the presentation or whatever. So I try to find space and time within the week when during those one-on-ones or smaller settings to like also kind of just have a little opportunity to connect on a human level. Do you have any tips for fellow marketers just given you've done, like as your bio says, a couple of decades of marketing and pre- Facebook, I think pre MySpace, right? Yeah, All the definitely. way to now. Yeah. What advice would you give someone that's maybe kind of in the middle of their career right now? I'll say all the experiences add up and matter. As someone who's been in the middle of my career before, hopefully I'm not at the end, but I definitely <laughs> think I've passed the middle. No, I don't know about you, but I, I went through a phase where I was like, what is this all for? What does it all mean? What is it going to add up to? Why am I, you know, and, and that I would consider a common middle experience, right? Middle career, middle career crisis. Yeah. Middle career crisis. What should we call yeah, that? Totally, no. totally your middle career crisis. And now when I look back, I'm like, oh, all of it meant something. It all is like actually filed away in a very useful place that I call on every now and then to make decisions. And there's no such thing as wasted time. There really isn't. It's all time well spent. And don't, you know, a great piece of advice I heard once is don't regret correct. Use it all as as fuel for the next thing. Don't lament. I, I think that's an important piece of life advice, but certainly career advice too, you know? I would, I would agree. I mean, I've had my agency for almost two decades and there were definitely moments where it's like, what am I doing this for? Right. And I think now that, you know, I'm also maybe past the midpoint of my career and I've had some time to reflect on some of the challenges, you kind of think, well, I guess that was helpful and useful. But at the time when you're going through it, you're like, this is garbage. I don't like this at all. Right. Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went through a phase where I was like, I'm going to quit it all and start my own business and have a boutique, just be a small business owner and did a stint in like merchandising school on the side just to learn about, you know, <laughs> and then I was like, wait, no, I'm good at what I do. I just, the jo- I just was in the wrong job. You know, I got to use what I know and what my skills are and what fuels me. And I just got to apply it in a different setting. And some people are, some people's middle careers are actually awesome. Some people are like, mm-hmm. this is the best middle I could have asked for. And, and that's fine too. But I think it all, I think all, the most important lesson learned for me is like it all 
it all adds up to something. That's a reason for everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do a little bit of rapid fire here and just, you know, get to know Karina a little bit on the personal level. You know, that water cooler Slack channel thing that you were talking about. Totally. Favorite band that you listened to as a teen. Okay. I was, as a teen, I was really into hip hop and Mm -hmm. I didn't actually listen to a lot of bands. I usually listen to like hip hop, hip hop. Yeah. But I grew up in Brooklyn and Biggie was my guy. Nice. Yeah. I loved, I love East Coast hip hop. And I also used to love Mary J. Blige. I still love her. I just, you know, yeah, but I grew up on the West coast. So I was definitely a Dr. Dre guy. A little Dre, a little far side was. Wow. Look yeah. Look, we're just throwing it back right now. Yeah. I remember when the Fuji's album came out and yeah, I loved hip hop. I just love hip hop in Brooklyn. What was the first thing you marketed? Oh, well, the first thing I marketed as like a full-time salary job was probably the video games like Tomb Raider that I mentioned to you. But I, when I was like old enough to work for my birthday, I think it is 13. I don't remember exactly. My mother gave me a, an empty application for a worker's permit to go to get a job. You can work at 13 <laughs> in New York. I think it was 14, 13 or 14. But yeah, I don't remember how old I was now. I think but I was pretty young. But anyway, all I wanted to say was, I remember by the time I was 16, I actually had a lot of jobs and been working, you know, at summer camps or whatever, yeah. you know. And, uh, but my, but when I started working in retail at the age of 16, I worked in the East Village and in Soho in New York. I actually think those were my first real marketing jobs. Retail sales associates are full on marketers. Amen. And I sold computers. Acknowledge that it needs to try it. It's true. I mean, I sold computers, I sold sneakers. Yep. Yep. I think I sold pizza too. I- totally. I remember selling like lifestyle clothes. Like, you know, I don't know. Do you remember Car- Cross Colors and Carl Knopf? Yeah. But, but I used to sell a lot of men's clothes and I learned all about how to like make sure they buy a belt and a pair of socks with that pair of jeans or whatever, you know? The upselling. Yeah. The upsell, the cross sell, you know, the, the never ask a yes or no question. Always ask questions that lead to conversation. Open-ended, open-ended questions. I'm telling you that. I really cut my teeth in marketing when I started in sales. Yeah. Do you watch or play sports? I don't anymore. I used to love basketball, but I'm a mom of two and I got a busy job and I haven't really kept up, but yeah. What was your favorite candy as a kid? Uh, Oh gosh. I really still love Hershey kisses with the almond inside them. Hershey's kisses with the almond inside. Like a little almond, a little nut. Inside. That's really yeah. No, my my yeah. wife is not a Hershey's kiss person at all, so we don't have any of those in the house. Yeah, I like. I also uh, really like marshmallows. <laughs> it's super random, and it's not even a candy bar, but I always love marshmallows. Roasted or just any regular? Kind. I'll just, any kind. I eat like a whole bag of marshmallows. Oh, that's not well. That's why you have to get on the Peloton, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, favorite local diner in Brooklyn. Oh my gosh. I haven't gone to a diner in, in forever. And actually we just moved to New Jersey. So I don't even, I'm not even, there's like an, an omelet parlor kind of place here that I go to. That's a kind of diner, but I don't go to diners anymore. Cause you're a mom of two. Yeah. Like every, yeah. I don't know. Given that you're a mom of two wiggles, Paw Patrol. Oh, they're too old for that. Oh, how old are they? Seven and four, oh, four, 14. Seven and 14. My into, daughter's into BTS right now. Yeah. My kids are into like Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite. 
they're all, I mean, speaking of trends, marketing trends, not to Roblox. subject Huge. metaverse. I'm telling oh, yeah. like, like if you're a marketer and you're not sorting out your like metaverse, cryptocurrency, NFT, whatever strategy. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's not like I have five decks at Peloton that, you know, <laughs> and I have it all sorted, but, but I, I've been thinking about it a lot because I look at my kids and for them, the digital world is very real and, and has real value. So it is super interesting how, how the, you know, like they, Oh yeah. Yeah. Roblox is amazing. Totally. Any organization you've supported by donation or with your time? Yeah. So my husband and I have actually last year I was during the Black Lives Matter kind of what's it's always they've always mattered, but during a lot of the duress in, 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 the, in the world and certainly in America, we gave a lot to um, the NAACP and to Black Lives Matter. I've we've also given a lot to like local organizations, including our local YMCA, which I think is super important to keep alive. And we'll talk about community. The YMCA is is, is an important place for community. Absolutely. Where are you going to go when COVID restrictions finally lift? Oh my God. Everywhere. I'm literally, I think I'm going to like, everywhere. I don't know. Do you know those, like, like these back in the day, they used to sell those around the world tickets where you'd like pick, pick six yeah, yeah, yeah. you pay like two grand and you go like six thousand. Our honeymoon, we were on a cruise ship, yeah. which I'm not sure we're going to go on a cruise ship anytime soon. And we did a European sampler, went from London, Paris, yeah. all the way around the Mediterranean, hit like the top of Africa, Spain. I think the rule with those tickets is usually that you just have to be going in the same direction until you get all the way around. Like you can't go back and pop back and forth. I don't know. I, I don't even know either. All I know is like, it's not even about the place. It's about uh, just go. Just let's go. All the places we haven't seen. All the places. Where are you all going? I'm going to all the, the places. All the places on the bucket list. Let's go. We got to get them out of the way. You know? Yeah. All right. Best <laughs> place for you to Zen. Actually, I Zen a lot on, uh, on my bike. I really do. Sometimes wow. I just sit on it when I'm done with the glass for like 10 minutes. Just, just chill. Just sit yeah. on it. Yeah, totally. Or I mean, I'm not ask you sit st- on it without having worked out first, but sometimes I do end a class and just sit on it. And just sit on it. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to ask you a super hard question that if you don't want to answer, it's totally fine. Okay. Who's your favorite Peloton instructor? It is hard to answer. I do love Emma because I'm super into music and I think she's just make, she just, has the best playlists. Um, but I also love Adrian and I love Justin's. I love them all. I don't know. It's hard to pick. It's awesome. Well, Hey, is there any last words of wisdom that you want to impart to our users, our listeners? Stay healthy. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening and thank you, Ted, for having me on. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Karina, for your time. Thank you for our listeners for another amazing episode of Marketing News Canada. Until next time, we'll see you guys around. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.